Again, welcome to Bayou City. So glad you're here. If you look around today and you're like, I don't really know that many people and maybe not that many people know me, then we'd love to change that. And the best way to change that here is through what we call community groups. They're somebody where you can know someone's name, somebody can know your name, and all happening in a home and an environment of warmth and kindness and togetherness, uh, as well as studying God's Word. So uh, there's a community group that's near you. A promise and one that uh, would meet at a time that would be most beneficial to you. So all that information is out in the lobby. Also, next week, we're starting a new series. We're, we're going to start walking through the book of James. And so we'll actually uh, do the first two chapters between now and Advent. So between now and November 29th. And a couple of requests as we do this James series, uh, real specific. And uh, uh, please bear with me as I make these requests. Uh, number one, I'd love for you to actually bring a Bible with you during this series of James. I know that kind of goes counterculture to our environment today. We have it on our phone, which is so great. And, uh, and then we put it up on the screens. And most of you are like me, and you're efficient. And it's like if you're already handing it to me, or I can look it up, why on earth would I need to bring my Bible? But I think there is something really special about having a Bible that's on your lap. Uh, there is something powerful about the breath of God being on a page. And, uh, and so I'd encourage you uh, to bring your Bible with you next week. If you're like, I honestly don't have a Bible. We have some here that we'd love to give you. Uh, you can go to the store and pick out one. It'd be a great thing. And bring your Bible between now and November 29th. And the second thing, real specific thing I'd like to encourage you with is uh, uh, try to be here every Sunday between now and November 29th. November 29th is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, some of you are every week churchgoers, and that's so great, and we're so blessed uh, to have you here. And Others of us are kind of, you know, if I wake up in time or if there's not anything else going on or it's like one person in the family is sick and so we all can't go to church somehow. It's just this magic thing uh, that happens at uh, and if you are a person that uh, is not an every week kind of person, maybe you come twice a month, maybe you come once a month, uh, I just encourage you between now and, and Advent, uh, what would it look like for you to make a commitment to be here every single week? Uh, and I promise it's not just about coming to church. I promise you, I can make you this promise or your money back, um, that your relationship with God will be uh, visibly affected by you coming to church every week. I promise at the end of this next two months, you'll go, I'm so glad that, uh, that I made this commitment. You will be able to tell a difference. So those real specific encouragements. Uh, but we're in Acts chapter 18 today, and today is Vision Sunday. So four years ago, right now, Bayou City Fellowship threw open its doors for the first time. But I don't want to talk about four years ago. I really want to talk about five years ago, because five years ago was a different story. It was a good story, but it was a, a different story. I was looking at my life, and on one hand, I was looking at all the goodness of God that He had aimed at me in that particular season. Maybe you've done this recently. It's like an amazing wife and great kids, a good home, ever work. But I was looking at all that God had done for me, and then I was looking at all that I was doing for Him, and I just felt like I could do more. Um, and more than I could do more, I, I wanted to do more. I wanted to make more of a contribution. And those were really the beginning seeds of what would become Bayou City because turns out I was not the only one feeling that way. There were many people uh, in churches all over the place that in one hand God had been so good to and in the other were doing honestly very little for the things that mattered the most. And that's what is Bayou City Fellowship. We are a family 
that want to make our lives matter in God's plan for Houston, Texas. I don't know if you've thought about that recently, but God does have a plan for this city. He loves the people of this city exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever uh, imagine. He has a desired outcome for this city that we care about and love, and we want our lives to matter in that plan. So we're trying to do three things here. We're trying to have a radical focus on Jesus. We are committed to the people of this city, and we want to start new Bayou City families as God leads. That's not an original vision. Uh, In fact, that's been the beginning since the beginning of the church. And I don't mean the beginning of our church. I mean the beginning of the church, capital C. As long as there has been a church, uh, people have been talking about those three things. And I want to show you um, these three things in Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, he left Athens, this is the Apostle Paul, and went to Corinth, where he found a Jewish man named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul came to them, and being of the same occupation, stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with preaching the message and solemnly testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook his robe and he told them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed the Lord along with his whole household. Many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. Verse 9, Then the Lord said to Paul in a night vision, Don't be afraid, but keep on speaking and don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will lay a hand on you to hurt you, because I have many people in this city. And he stayed there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. First thing I'd love for you to remember and maybe write down this morning is we want a radical focus on Jesus, a radical focus on Jesus. If you've been with us here in our Bayou City family for a while, you know that we talk about this all the time, and I really do think it makes a difference. I got an email last week from a lady in our family here, and and she said, hey, I've just been coming for a while, and I want you to know that uh, there's really just, I just think something unique is is on your church. It's it's just just, I've never been to a church like it. And, and we hear that quite a bit. And the other thing that we hear quite a bit is people coming up after church and, and, and saying, it's my first time here. And I just want you to know, I cried through the entire thing, which I'm like, I don't think that's a compliment. I don't know how you mean it, but that does not sound like a compliment coming out of your mouth. And, and, and they'll say, you know, worship started. And, and for some reason, I just started to cry. This is men and women. Uh, the, the preaching, you know, started and I started to cry. And then the preaching went on and on and on and on and on and on. And I kept on crying. And, and then it was over and I stopped crying out of pure joy. And, and then the announcements happened and I cried through those as well. I just cried through the entire thing. And I've thought a lot about that. We've heard that since the beginning. Last week, four people came up to me afterwards and said, I cried through the entire uh, service today. And, and I thought, well, why does that happen? Why does that happen? And I think it's because we all, uh, even if you've not been a regular churchgoer, you probably have some kind of church experience. And most of us have experienced too much church at church. 
Because what happens is every church starts and every pastor starts with this pure-hearted desire to make a big deal out of Jesus. But then church happens, and then you start adding all these layers on. A layer of Bible study, and Bible study is amazing. But Bible study goes on top, and then let's serve the homeless, and that's amazing. And let's serve this, and let's do this, and while we're all together, we might as well do this. And what about this? And now we need this, and now we've got a lot of people. And, let's, and all these layers start adding on. So when you come to church, what you end up experiencing is church. And what we're trying to do here is just to get church out of the way so that we can experience Jesus. Because you guys are wonderful, and I assume you think I'm wonderful, but I'm not worth getting out of bed on Sunday morning for, and neither are you. But we want an experience with the Son of God. And a radical focus on Jesus clears away all the church clutter so we can actually experience him for ourselves. And I think it does make a difference. We see that Paul had a radical focus on Jesus. Look at verse 4. It says, He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade both Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy, verse 5, came down to Macedonia, Paul was occupied with preaching the message and solemnly testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. So it says he's occupied with three things. He's obsessed with three things. Preaching, reasoning, and testifying about Jesus. Preaching means to proclaim. It's when you, you just say the truth out loud because it's the truth. You know, there are some things we say out loud because we know people want to hear them. There are some things that people say out loud uh, because uh, it would be good for them. And there are other things that we just say out loud because no matter how anybody responds, it's just the truth. And that's what it means to proclaim Jesus. It means I'm going to say this out loud because it's just the plain and simple truth. It doesn't matter how anybody responds. It doesn't matter how people react. I'm just going to say it out loud because it's the truth. Paul preached Jesus, but he also reasoned. Uh, reasoning with somebody is all about taking away their obstacles to faith. We all know people, and, and we talk to them about Christ, and we invite them to church, but they have a ready-made list of why they don't want to participate. Those are obstacles, and reasoning is about taking away those obstacles. Immediately, we think about intellectual obstacles. You know, some people, some, maybe your friends or family, they, they're like, I don't know how the Bible and science can fit together, and, and until I figure that out, I'm, I'm not really well, willing to believe, or I don't know if I, how, how do I know if I can trust the Bible that it is actually the authentic word of God? If I could reason that together, then I might be willing to consider faith in Jesus. And, and so there's intellectual obstacles, but really, honestly, most of the people that we know and rub shoulders with, their, their obstacles to faith are not intellectual, they're experiential. They've had a negative experience with Christians or the church, and that's their reason for not believing. And so you are reasoning with them when you just live an authentic and honest and well-ordered life in the name of Jesus. Just if you keep living your life in the way that God intends you to do through the Scripture, kind and gentle and honest, you are taking away they're obstacles to faith. You're reasoning with them. And then he says he also testified to them. Preaching is about telling the story of Jesus. Uh, testifying is about gluing your story to the story of Jesus. It means this is the truth. These are the obstacles. And here's my personal story of how I've been affected. You know, our story on their own, uh, they're 
entertaining anecdotes. But your story partnered with the story of Jesus literally has the power to change the world. This is what happens when we have a radical focus on Jesus. And what happens when we lock into Him, we end up becoming like Him. We grow into maturity. You can't help but stare at Jesus and become like Him. It's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God comes in with sandpaper and sands all the parts of us away that don't look like Jesus. Honestly, He comes with sandpaper sometimes, but other times in my life, He's come with a chisel. There are whole sections of my life, whole parts of my life that don't look anything like the life and purpose of Jesus. And that's what happens when we have a radical focus. Not only does it clear the way, clear the church clutter, but it helps us to become like Him. We become like the Apostle Paul who says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We want a radical focus on Jesus. The second thing I would love for you to remember and write down is we want to be committed to the people of our city. We want to be committed to the people of our city. We see here that Paul comes into Corinth and the first place that he goes is the synagogue. That was his pattern. He would come into a new city, wouldn't have any connection, so he goes to the place that he's connected the most, and that would be where the place where the Jewish people would gather because he was Jewish. But look how they respond to him. Paul was occupied, verse 5, with preaching the message and solemnly testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook his robe and he told them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. And Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, verse 8, believed the Lord along with his whole household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, believed and were baptized. So Paul goes to the Jewish people and what happens? He's immediately rejected. And it's not just that they weren't interested. Uh, you know, I don't think I believe that. That's not for me. They're actively rooting against Paul. They're blaspheming Jesus. And what does he do? He literally goes next door. He doesn't leave the city. He doesn't wipe his hands, wash his hands of responsibility to Corinth. He goes next door. It would be like if you, you know, went to work and there's somebody there and you really want to invite them to church and you invite them to church next week and they're like, no, I would never go to church with you, not in a million years. And you go, okay, and you leave, and you go to the next cubicle. And then the next cubicle, and the next cubicle, that's what he does. He literally goes next door. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I watch the news, I read about the news. Really, Amanda tells me the news, and I hear about the news from her. And it's just easy to go, gosh, this place is awful. Four million people here, minimum. It's just in the city limits of Houston. Seven million outside. Fourth largest metro area in America. And when you have that many people, you're going to have a lot of darkness. Because wherever there are people, there's darkness. In your home, there's darkness because there's people there. In my home, darkness because there's people there. Because sin is just bound up in our DNA right now. 
But you take the fourth largest amount of people and you put them together, that's going to be a lot of darkness. And it's easy to read and see and go, you know what, Houston, Texas, you're going to hell. There's just nothing left to say other than you are going straight to hell. And we've all said that. We've all read that article that just crossed one too many lines. We heard that report that was more than we could take in that moment and just said, God is going to judge all of you. It's easy to do that. But what does Paul do? Paul doesn't abandon the city. Paul goes next door. And you'll notice what happens when he goes next door. The front door to the synagogue was closed, but God opened a side door. The leader, Crispus, of the synagogue, who had been actively opposing him in the synagogue, when Paul goes next door, now he's willing to believe. So maybe you've been inviting, inviting, inviting your neighbors and friends, and they're just not interested. And you have a a temptation in your heart just to wash your hands of all responsibility. But then go next door. You never know what side door God is opening. That's the kind of church we want to be. We also want to be a a church that doesn't get caught in the trap of just trying to be a little bit better than other churches. I don't know if you figure this out, but pretty much every church has the same blueprints. You know, it doesn't take a lot of creativity to be a pastor. In fact, if you have a lot of creativity, don't be a pastor because the road's already been plowed for you. Essentially, you know, what are we going to do? We're a church. Well, I think we're supposed to sing some songs. Yeah, we're supposed to sing some songs. What else does the church do? Well, church reads the scripture. Okay, so that somebody talks about the scripture. Okay, then I think they eat. I think those are kind of all the ingredients that you need to be a church is you need to uh, sing, you need to pray, you need to read the word, and you need to eat. That's it. That's all you need to do. There's not that much creativity. So when you're inviting people to church, there's not a big selling point it, there, is there? You know, like, hey, why don't you come to church with me? And they're like, well, I haven't been in a long time. Tell me about your church. Well, we, we sing songs. Well, you know, the church I went to 10 years ago, we sang a lot of songs there. And you'd be like, well, our songs are a little bit better. Hey, come to church with me. Well, what do you got going on in your church? Well, we do Bible studies. Well, the last church I went to, they did Bible studies. Yeah, but our Bible studies are a little bit better. Come to church with me. We have preaching there. I've heard preaching before. Well, ours is not that much better, but just come on anyway. Our coffee is a little bit better. It's real easy to get caught in this trap of just trying to be a little bit better. How sad is that? How sad is that, that that a church's greatest selling point would be that they are a better family than their own brothers and sisters and cousins down the road. How shameful is that? That our marketing for the kingdom is that we do things a little bit better than other members of the same kingdom. That doesn't stir my heart. That's not what I want to be a part of. That's not what you want to be a part of. We don't want to just get caught in the trap of being a little bit better. We want to make our lives matter in God's plan for Houston, Texas and have since the beginning. So we don't try to recreate the wheel. So we just look around in our neighborhoods and communities and and say, who's God already raised up? Who's doing the work of Jesus's name in this neighborhood? And here in Cyprus, we looked around and we found the orphan care network. Many of you are in the adoption and 
foster care arena and the orphan care network comes alongside and gives support and training and love and care. Randy's here with us today. He's the leader, president, CEO, big boss man of the orphan care network. And they're just doing tremendous work and we love partnering with them. It's what it looks like to be committed to the city. We look around and we see the folks at Truett Middle School, men and women, not just teaching as a vocation, but teaching as a calling. And we come alongside and say, how can we love you? How can we minister to you? How can we, how, how can we help carry this burden? How can we fan your flame into a greater flame? We love them. Lori's with us today. She's representing them. We look around and we see Boys and Girls Country just up the road about 10 minutes from here in Hockley. It's a great campus of uh, house moms, house dads, executive staff opening doors to this place so that kids in Houston who are from vulnerable situations, whose families are falling apart, they can come and live there under some godly care and wise counsel. It's a beautiful thing. I'm so grateful for them. Melissa's representing them here today. Let's round of applause for these folks, our partners. See, that's the thing, that's the thing, those are the things that we want to be a part of. As you give your tithes and offerings, wouldn't you want to know that the majority of those dollars and cents were going to organizations like that, where they're actually helping people, not just helping us be a little bit better than some other place that you've been? This has been our heart since the very beginning. Even before we started the church, we had this little team of 50, and we were kind of meeting and planning and praying and doing all of those. And in the midst of that planning, we read about an apartment fire uh, down in Spring Branch, which is where our first campus is located. And so I called the reporter who had written the article and said, we're a church in the area. Well, I mean, technically we're not a church in the area yet, but we're going to be a church in the area. We read about the apartment fire. We want to help. What can we do? And so she put me in touch with the apartment manager, and, and so I said to the apartment manager, what do you need? You tell us what you need, and we'll do it. And they said, well, really, our families need everything that you would need to rebuild an apartment, uh, kind of from the ground up. A lot of these families have lost everything. And so we went back to our team and, and said, uh, they need everything. Bring everything you have. And so people brought clothes, and people brought kitchen stuff. Just people brought everything, everything. We jammed it all in the back of our Suburban, and one afternoon, one hot, hot August afternoon, Amanda and I and our friend Angela and Annabeth, who was two at the time, uh, went down to this apartment complex, laid all this stuff that we had out on the tables and so the families could come and take what they needed. It's a beautiful thing. While we're there, we meet a woman has no furniture in her home. At first, we think it's just because of the fire. She's lost it all in the fire. The truth is she didn't have any furniture in her home before the fire. And you're picturing that she's got a mattress in her bedroom. No mattress in her bedroom. No furniture. We hear about it. We got to do something about it. Get in the Suburban. Drive to Ikea. Load up the furniture. We rebuild her apartment from the ground up with furniture that she didn't have. So we're doing little things like this in the apartment complex. The elementary school where all these kids are zoned. Here's a, instead of just ministering, contact us and say, you've been doing this work in this apartment complex. Would you mind just coming, instead of just ministering to the kids of this one apartment complex, could you come and minister to the families of this entire school? We say, absolutely. What do you need us to do? And they say, well, here are our needs. And there were some real specific needs that they had. And we said, we'll do our best to meet those needs. 
and we're going to start with your teachers. We're going to start with your faculty and staff. We're going to bring them lunch, and we're not going to bring them a boxed lunch. We're going to bring them the good kind of lunch, like the kind of lunch that's bad for you, like the kind of lunch that you feel terrible about later on, but you're happy in the moment. That's the kind of lunch we're coming to do. And we're going to do a giant sonic run for all of the teachers, faculty, and staff. What do you want? What do you want? What Route 44 do you want? Some of our amazing volunteers showing up 2 o'clock in the afternoon just to give sonic drinks in the name of Jesus. So we are in and out of that school for about a year and a half. Last May, school's winding up. We come back to the table with this elementary school. And they say, we love you guys so much. You guys have been so amazing. We don't actually need you anymore. All of the problems that we had when you started, we don't have anymore. And we want you to be free to go and do that somewhere else. See, that's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. I don't want to be a part of a church that's just trying to outdo people who are doing the same work as us. I want us to be committed to the people of this city. I want our lives to matter in God's plan for Houston, Texas. The third thing I would love for you to remember and write down, we want to start new churches. This is in the background of almost every story in the book of Acts from about Acts chapter 9 on. The Apostle Paul would come into a city. He would gather people in the name of Jesus. He would get them going and he would move on. He comes here from Athens. He comes to Corinth, starts the church, and then he leaves at the end of this section to go to Syria. So he comes in, a church is started, and he goes out. This is just the natural rhythm of the new Testament. I brought a map with me uh, today. I've been into maps recently. It's a cool thing to be into in case any of you are wondering. Uh, it's actually a globe. And so on the right, I know the difference. I know the difference. I do. On the right of the screen, you see that star there. That's actually Corinth. In fact, if you drew a circle around that star, a lot of the action of the Bible happens in the circle around that star. And then way over to the left where that arrow is and the tiny little iPhone dot, uh, that's us here in Cypress, Texas. I wonder if you've thought about recently how on earth the story of Jesus got from that star all the way around to us. It's probably not a question you've thought about recently because, you know, the gospel beat us here. The story of Jesus beat us here. When we were born, it was already around. But how on earth did it get from way over there here to, to our city? Well, the answer is, is that churches were started. Church was started in Corinth and then some people left Corinth and started one a little bit west of there. And then another one a little bit west of there until we're into Spain. And then from Spain into England and from England on a boat all the way across the Atlantic Ocean to the east coast of North America. And churches are started there. And from there they go down to the south. And churches are started there. And they bleed into the Midwest. And from the Midwest and the south, here they come into Texas. And from Texas they move on. Churches are started. You're like, well, what about missionaries? Yeah, missionaries left to go and start churches. This is how the gospel spreads. And by God's grace, we've gotten to be a part of this. Because about 20 months ago, there was nobody meeting in this room on Sunday mornings. Nobody. In fact, I want you to lift your hand. Uh, if you were with us at our first service on September 11th of 2011, so if you came to Bayou City Fellowship on September 11th of 2011, I think there are about eight of us in here. 
Churches were started. The story of Jesus is spread. And we looked out. We want to be a part of the story. And we said, where, where can we start a new church? Cyprus just seemed like the place to do it. And so a group of about 120 gathered together in this room. We pray and we pray and we pray and we plan a little bit. We pray and we pray and we pray and we plan a little bit. And pray and pray and pray and then we invite it. And with a group of 120, we've now multiplied to, we have probably have today, about 1,200 people here this is what happens when you plant people with a radical focus on Jesus who are committed to the city around them. Churches are started. started. You can't help it. You'd have to work hard to not start a church when those two things are happening. You know, launching a church is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful, holy, and sacred thing. I think for two reasons. Uh, reason number one, it's nearly impossible. I don't know if you've been a part of anything that's nearly impossible lately. It's incredibly hard, but kind of fun a little bit. Uh, it's nearly impossible. And the second reason that starting a church is so great is because it is the hardest thing that you will ever do. I mean, it takes more work than your actual job. And so I know that sounds super appealing, but uh, it's nearly impossible, a lot of hard work. And the reason it's a lot of hard work is because when you start a church, everybody has to do everything. Uh, you and I, we got the luxury today. We could volunteer if we just felt blessed to do so. You know, we've got these amazing people in the blue t-shirts, and uh, just we honor them so much uh, because uh, they give us the option to not actually have to do anything, which is a great thing. And, and uh, most of us are under the assumption that, you know, magic church fairies come, and they turn this room from a saloon into a church, and then uh, we have a church, and then when we leave, then magic church fairies come back, and they turn it back into a saloon, uh, I guess, which is kind of weird. And... Uh, but we really don't have to do any work unless we just feel blessed to do so. But when you start a church, you have to do everything. Everybody shows up at, uh, you know, sun up. And sun up, just by the way, today was at 7.09, in case any of you are interested. And there were people here. Uh, but when you start a church, everybody is there when the sun comes up. And then you set up all the kids' ministry space. And then when you're done with that, then you come in here and you set up all the worship space. And you put together the microphones and the drum set and the staging and the chairs and all of that. And then you have church. But you have to, everybody has to do stuff during church, everybody has to serve communion, and everybody has to take the offering, and everybody has to do the coffee, and everybody has to stand behind the tables out in the lobby, and everybody has to set up those tables out in the lobby, and then church happens, and then everyone goes home, and they're off at the Mexican food restaurant, but you're still there, and you're taking all those tables down, and you're taking all those chairs down, and you're taking all those microphones down, and then you're taking all that kids' ministry stuff down, and then you're jamming it all into a trailer, and you're like, maybe we should organize this so it's easier next week, but you're living in the moment, so you just throw it on in there. Then you get to go to the Mexican restaurant and have dinner. And that's what makes launching a new church so amazing. Because you get the opportunity, you get the opportunity to look at those two things. That it's nearly impossible, and that is a tremendous amount of hard work. And then you look at those two things, and then you go and look in the mirror. And you go, the person I'm staring at in the mirror is not able, qualified, strong enough, gifted enough, talented enough, hardworking enough to pull off those two things. 
And then you look around at the circle of 120 or 50 or 25 or whatever it is and go, I love you guys very much. But nobody in this circle is gifted enough, talented enough, strong enough, hardworking enough, committed enough to pull off those two things. So if I can't look in the mirror and I can't look to other people, then where can I look? Oh, I can look straight up into the throne room of God where the Son of God is. And I can believe not in myself and not in other people, but I can believe in Him to pull off these two things. Things, it's a tremendous opportunity because the dirty secret of the church is that we don't need this morning to make our lives good. Whether you believed in Jesus or not, the common grace on planet Earth is that most of you have good families, good jobs, with good degrees, living in good neighborhoods. You don't need faith for your life to be good. But you do need faith for your life to matter. And this is an opportunity for faith when most of us really don't need it on a day-to-day basis. It's a dangerous, dangerous thing to live your life without faith. Because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, without faith, it's actually impossible to please God. So here's the kind of pastor I want to be. I want to be the kind of pastor that sets before all of us an opportunity to have faith. I want to be the kind of pastor that will give you the opportunity to look at those two things and then look in the mirror and go, I'm not enough, but I believe that Jesus is enough. I want to give you the opportunity to live a life where you really do need faith. How powerful would it be if we were the kind of church that didn't go, you know what, we're actually outgrowing our space and who's willing? We're going to go and start a church. Who would be willing to start a church in Tombo? Who would be willing? Please pray about it. Please, we'll give you money. We will do whatever. Who would be willing to church start a church on the other side of 290? Outside of Bridgeland, who would be willing? I want to be the kind of church where we have groups of 50 and 100 that say, hey, actually, we already did all the research. We live in the same zip code. We want the opportunity to invite our, our neighbors to a church that's five minutes away. We're ready to go. Do you just give us the green light? Can we go? I want to be a church that doesn't have to ask people if they want to start churches in their own neighborhoods and, com- and communities. I want to be the kind of church where we should have to actually have to tell people, no, we can't. We don't have the money. And then they're like, we'll give the money. We don't even need any money. We're ready. And then like, no, actually we can't because I don't know. I can't think of a good reason why we can't, but just not right now. I want to be a part of that kind of church. Not where we have to beg people to do this, but where people are in their neighborhoods with a radical focus on Jesus, committed to the people of those neighborhoods and churches are just going to pop up we won't be able to stop it that sounds infinitely more appealing to me than just trying to be a little bit better than what we've all experienced before I brought another map I told you I was into maps this is Houston, Texas at night taken from the International Space Station so unless you were on vacation that day you're somewhere in that picture You're underneath one of those lights. One of those lights is your home, is your place of business, place that you shop for groceries, places that you live and move. And this is where God has called us to live. And God has a plan 
for all of those lights. He's got a love that would blow our minds for every person under every one of those lights. And all we're saying today, our big grand vision, is we want to be a part of that plan. Nothing new, nothing creative. If you're going to use anybody to unfold your plan for Houston, Texas, then there's a family right here that wants to be used. Let's pray. God, we, we just beg you that you would let us be a part of whatever you're doing in our city. God, if you're calling anybody to start new churches in Houston, Texas, would you call us? If you're sending out anybody with love and affection and hard work in their hands for the people of this city, would you send us? God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that words like complacency, words like apathy would never be welcome in this family. I pray that in our comfort, we would not become comfortable. God, use us. Use us for Jesus' name's sake.